Welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We're your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer, and individual so blindly trusting that I would inevitably be the first character to be killed in a horror movie, Katie MacDonald. And here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and whose implicit trust in the animal kingdom is surely going to cause her to go full Legends of the Fall one of these days, <laughs> Heather MacArthur. Oh, really? That's a, that's a great pull, Legends of the Fall. It is a great pull, and I don't want to, like, you know, hey, spoiler alert for someone who hasn't watched a film from 1994, but, you know, <laughs> Brad gets beaten down by a bear, and I just remember watching that and going, that is how I want to go down in life. Like, just a big animal and me trying to hug them and going, like, no, I'm, an, I'm a wild animal, lady. <laughs> and that's that's how I will, I will t- I have my ending. At, like, 90 years old, I'll walk in the park and see a mountain lion or something, and I'm like, kitty, and done. That's going to be my end. <laughs> It'll be you and a bobcat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's my end. Oh, it's so good. Uh, well, we're walking listeners through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your own career. And most importantly, helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career looks like for you. So today, Katie and I thought, if you haven't caught our hook yet, is our focus is going to be on trust, just because it's one of those kind of gooey subjects that that people all kind of reference and in, in coming from different angles, but they don't really know how to tackle. But at the end of it, it's always the thing that makes it difficult for humans to work together if it's not there. And so we thought it would be a good one to try to tackle today. I'm excited about this one because it is, it's another one of those four letter words that you've identified, Heather, that people get like weird about when you bring it up at work. Like, well, trust. Well, yeah, no, we're, we're building brand trust and we're working really hard on establishing, you know, trust in the model and trust in the vision. Okay, but that kind of starts with us as individuals, right? It's true. And I don't want to break your trust, but it is a five-letter word, but, you know. <laughs> O-M-G. Thank you. I'm really, I'm going to have to heartily debate whether or not... <laughs> That stays in the <laughs> with that with just four letters but you know you got you're on to something because a four-letter trust word is rust and that's what happens to our relationships <laughs> without trust <laughs> you know in in the spirit of authenticity which establishes and builds trust i'm gonna leave that in and let the audience know that i can't count the number of letters in words <laughs> i was sitting there going wait t-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-r-
conference room A and you're like, I want to have it in B. That's just, that's conflict, but it's just a debate. And like when people say, I don't like conflict, what they're really saying is I don't like the fight that mm. goes along with conflict. And usually that's because there's a lack of trust. And so it all comes from, I don't trust myself. I don't trust the situation or I don't trust the person because of previous experience. So it's always the thing that's causing people to be defensive with one another. And it, it, it can come from a lot of different places. And I think sometimes people are shocked because they're going, I don't understand why they're reacting this, this way to me. I came here to help them. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know what their trust issues are. So somehow you tripped over something that, that they need to, you know, to feel like they can trust you. And it may just be that they need to know who you are before they do anything with you. And the other thing is, to your point, like, well, how then how do you build it? Because it is such a kind of hard thing to get your, your hands around. And we've broken it into like four different areas, especially in the workplace. But I think this genuinely applies to people at home. And one of my colleagues, Joe Jokowitz, uh, at the firm that I work with, he has this quadrant. And I love this because we did this as a team. I've done this with other teams. And I've even used it with my stepchildren. And it's worked amazing. <laughs> and it's these four areas. And it's how much do I trust that you care about me? How much do I trust that you're capable of doing whatever it is that you're supposed to do for me or with me? How much do I trust that you're being authentic, being real with me? And how much do I trust that you're reliable? And the way that we walk through this, and I've seen like teams just clear out months and sometimes years of crap hmm. out of their way because it, it really cracks up in a conversation. So the way that this is done is you get in pairs and you ask uh, one another, you know, and one person goes first and they basically say, so Katie, if I was talking to you, I might say, you know, from a one to 10 for caring, I see you as caring for me at a level 10. And so that might feel nice, but you would still ask me, okay, what built it to be a 10? And right. then I share, like, this is what makes it a 10 for me. And then it goes to capable, you know, I, I'd be like, okay, I think that that's a, a 10 as well. And I could go around and maybe it's all lovely, but my experience has been, even with the best of relationships, like I said, I did this with the, the people that I work with at the firm that I partner with. And, you know, one person shared with me, like, oh, I think you're a 10 in terms of caring. I have no doubt that you care about me and the work and everything, and it's more than just about you. I think you're a 10 in capable. I think you can do anything you put your mind to. And I think you're a 10 in authenticity, but you're a 5 in reliability. And I was like, oh, ouch. But we started talking about it, and instead of, like, I, instead of getting defensive, I said, what made it up to a 5? Mm. And what what could make it? higher and closer to a 10. And then they just said, you know, because you do a lot and you, when you do it, it's great. And there's a lot of things I know I can rely on you for, but sometimes when there's new things, I, you know, you'll say things in a meeting, you'll talk about it. And I think you're going to go off and do it. And then I don't ever hear about it again. And through our dialogue, what we found out is some of it was, I just need to be better about following up and making communication. But a lot of it was in my head, me talking in a meeting is not committing to doing something. Right. Me talking in a meeting is just shooting ideas out there. And then, you know, we kind of worked that out. It's like, okay, what's the signal that I'm truly committing to something and that that person can expect me to deliver on it? And so just, and, and really all I did was create this really nice open dialogue. And then I was able to share back with them tens everywhere, but I think they're a five on authenticity. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, because I think I drive you nuts on a regular basis. And I don't, I think you're being polite with me. And I, I think you're not always honest <laughs> when I am driving you up the wall because our styles are so different. So it was this lovely conversation. And then, like I said, I did this with my stepkids with the, at the time that my stepson was what, uh, 11 years old. And 
we were, you know, kind of struggling with getting him to do certain things. So I sat down with him and I said, great knee. And I think around caring, he said, well, I'll give you a five. And I was like, oh, you're <laughs> And I, you know, I threw out there, oh, because, you know, we don't know each other as well. I'm still a new person in his life. And sure. he was like, no, because you make me do things like eat vegetables and go to bed early. And and, and he thinks that then, shows up as not caring. Yeah. I and then I it. said, oh, okay, I'm perfectly happy and fine with the idea that you, that that's what's getting me a lower score. And FYI, it'll keep on being that low score if that's the criteria you're going off of. But, yeah, I um, may show up as a meanie, but I'm authentically being a meanie for your own good. So. I'm consistent. I'm reliable. But it actually, like, what I noticed from there on is, one, that he just got heard, and he, he got that I was going to have a conversation with him. I could feel a different tone. I did the same thing with, with my stepdaughter. It didn't solve everything overnight, but it just it set this different tone of, like, okay, we're in this together. It's not just a me versus you. I love that quadrant. We're looking at authenticity, capability, reliability, and what am I missing? Caring. And caring. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got I it. Don't, you don't want to miss that. <laughs> investment, <laughs> level of investment, right? Caring. I love that. Yeah. And, and what's great is because both people get to do it. So it's not just this one-sided thing. And I think a lot of times we talked about feedback before. It's so one-sided, you, you're just setting up some resentment. But this is a nice kind of dual dialogue. And... You know, at the end of the day, it's just about, I think, being listened to and being heard and feeling heard is the number one way you build trust with people. So I think it sets you up to be able to do that. It especially allows you to drill down and kind of build language around what it is that is blocking the effective dialogue that, you know, well, I, I don't trust it. You trust it. I use this all the time, but this is kind of a rudimentary build out of, of what you've described, what you've put forth in kind of this these metrics is you trust people to do something. You trust everybody to show up a very specific way. And this kind of drills down exactly what you trust people to do, right? Like I have people that I work with in my current role that I can trust to show up to a meeting on time every single time and then be playing on their phones 90% of the time that they show up. I trust them to do that because I've seen that that's what they're doing. I can trust people to do certain things and not to do other things because of past behavior, right? Past behavior being an indicator of future behavior. So you do on some level trust people to behave in very specific ways. When you say, I don't trust you. Well, you you do. You have a pattern that you're able to recognize and expect from people, but it's a pattern that you have overlaid based on their behavior and your filters of what you can expect and what you think they're bringing to the team. So this, this exercise of like how a scale of one to 10, how much do you think I care? How much do I show up authentic? How much do you find me capable? And how much do you find me? How, how can I not keep four of these in my head at the same time? I barely care. <laughs> I barely can. And I've seen it a ton of times. So you're, you're doing excellent. But, but really asking people to drill down kind of removes that filter that the dubious person or the less trusting person in the equation is working with, right? Like, well, I don't trust you because every tall white guy that's ever walked into this role has treated me the exact same way. Okay, well, I'm a different tall white guy. So let's, yeah. let's deal with this differently, right? You are a different tall white guy. I'm a very different tall white guy. <laughs> But no, I, and actually, I mean, if you want to get down to the deep level of it, it really has nothing to do with trusting other people. We're always upset because we somehow, something happens we didn't predict happening, either because we're resisting reality or we're just not, not have never experienced 
that type of behavior before. And so what it comes down to is we're upset because we don't know if we can trust our own judgment. Ah. So to your point, if I'm tuning into reality and I'm paying attention and like this person gets on their phone every single time, but if I'm resisting it, like people shouldn't be on their phones, I can't trust him. Like, no, you can trust him, but you don't like that every day you're getting surprised by this. So you're not actually trusting your judgment. And, you know, I remember, you know, I'll take this into like a personal life thing. I remember as a teenager, late, late teenager, early 20s and going through relationships and, and honestly being cheated on. There were certain moments of wisdom at 19 that I'd love to go back and find because they were so pure. And I'm like, how did a 19 year old have, because I don't have that wisdom all the time popping up now. <laughs> but I remember at 19 kind of going, yeah, it has nothing to do with trusting him. I didn't trust my own judgment. I knew when stuff went sideways and I refused to tune into that. So it, you know, to sit here and go like, I can't trust him. No, I could probably trust him to be exactly who he's going to be. Right. And I refuse to trust myself and listen to that little voice that said, get the fuck out. <laughs> right. Because our filters, I'm, I'm right there with you because the filter that I've chosen to use negates my own experience, negates my own, tr yeah, my own trust in my own abilities. I, I think that happens at work too. I think in the, in, you know, there were, there were points in my career where I was in a job that absolutely, it seemed same thing. Like there were so many signs that this wasn't a good fit for me. And it was the first time that I ever got laid off. And I should have left that company so long ago. And I, later I went, I'm never going to need the universe to kick me out of my job again. I am mm -hmm. going to listen to my judgment and not get caught in the idea of, well, I should stay longer. Because at the time I had been moving from one job to the next in my 20s before it was cool to job hop like a millennial. Uh, <laughs> all my friends were like, you got to pick a lane. You got to pick a job. This is going to be bad for you. And so I'm listening to them versus trusting my own gut that says, no, no, it's time to leave this job too. And I stayed. And now in hindsight, you know, it was all good lessons. And, you know, I, I got whatever lesson I needed out of it. And a lot of, a lot of kind of growth came out of it. But that was my whole thing is like, I knew that was a wrong fit. And I waited until they had to kick me out. When they kicked me out, it was during a time that financially it was a bad time for me instead of me just taking charge of that and setting myself up for success. So trusting yourself sets you up to be able to examine these dynamics in those four quadrants that we set up against trusting other people that we come in contact with. Yeah. Trust yourself first. Yeah, it is a foundation because I think it comes down to when you trust yourself, you also like yourself. I mean, that's sending a message of, I trust your inner wisdom. And I, I remember it was 2012 and I had had some personal experiences that really threw me off in my twenties, some career stuff, but, and people would kind of give me a hard time about like, well, why did you let that happen? Or why did you do this? So I got into this whole, like, I can't trust myself thing. And in 2012, I don't know what happened, but I just started calling it the year of yes. And this is, you know, here's a little into my crazy psyche. There was this year of yes. And I kind of went, if Heather wants it, Heather's going to have it. And I'm just going to trust that if I'm drawn towards it, that my judgment isn't pulling me in the bad direction. And part of that was it was 2012. I decided to quit a good job that I was getting promoted in. And I remember everybody was, I said, I'm going to go out to consulting. And they're like, well, you know, the market's still kind of sketchy and there's no guarantees out there. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. This is the direction. I remember someone sat me down and was like, what's your business plan? I would love to learn from you. And I'm like, oh, I don't have one. I just woke up one day and it was like, Heather wants to consult. Heather gets to consult. And I took that leap and I did little things like I bought a new car. I was two months away from quitting my job. And I didn't know if I, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a ton of savings saved up. 
and, and this may all make me just sound super reckless, but I just was like, I just don't think my gut would say to do this if it wasn't going to head me in the right direction. I remember getting the car. The old car that I had was like something I bought that I thought I was going to like in my mid thirties as an SUV and I was going to get married and have kids at some point. And then I was like, well, now I'm just a single girl cruising by soccer fields, like some weirdo in a lifetime movie. We'll get rid of it. <laughs> I got myself a hard top convertible and I'm like, well, this is me. And I felt like it felt like me. And it did. I felt like that infused me with to be that much more authentic in, in, in going after the consulting stuff and to be more passionate about it and to hustle harder. And so I'm not saying that formula is for everybody, but I did that for about a solid year and I found myself into a completely different place in my life than I'd ever been. And it was just, I don't know how to explain how much I just loved my life again because I stopped telling myself that everybody was right and the mistakes in my life could have been prevented if I just would have thought like them. And I finally got to a place where I'm like, those mistakes have to happen. So I'm glad I made those. My gut was pointing me in the right, right direction. I had to have those hard lessons. I needed to experience a layoff. I, I needed to experience whatever it is that I went through so that I could do these other things I was meant to do versus what other people might have been meant to do. So listening to yourself was your first step in making sure that you were actually going to show up authentically because you were kind of living a life that was aspirational in a direction that other people had shown you how to aspire, but you were not actually aspiring to that life. Yeah, it was, I just had a very, I had a, I, I realize now my risk tolerance for things, you know, my whole thing is I don't want to go into the grave that I played it so safe. I didn't live the life I was supposed to. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm out there just doing reckless things and thoughtlessness, but when I get a calling for something that I want to make sure that I followed that through and, and trust myself that if it goes sideways, well, then I'll figure out what to do in that sideways thing. And, you know, I think that's, you know, sometimes when I'm working with younger professionals who are either just starting their career or whether that's somebody in high school or whether that's somebody fresh out of college. And I'm not, and honestly, I find that in all age groups, but a lot of times with younger folks and they're afraid to do something, or I'm afraid to do this. And I'm like, you're, you, you don't, you don't trust your own capabilities and resourcefulness enough. If you trusted your own resilience and that comes with trying things, gambling things, messing up, and then learning from it and moving forward. And I think you know, that leads me to a little bit of what helps with self-trust is having a growth mindset. If you believe everything is teaching you something and helping you evolve, you don't spend a lot of time going, I should have had that perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you really actually enjoy the mistakes as much as you enjoy the successes because you know it's building towards something. I feel like that leads me perfectly into something that I've been thinking about since we started talking about trust. And it's one of those giant brick walls that I feel come down around everybody and stifle a lot of the trust in the workplace, which is that wonderful imposter syndrome where we are not trusting our own capabilities and performance and authenticity in the space that we're currently occupying. And so that creates just this thick blanket that covers our like the the kind of muddies up I'm mixing all kinds of metaphors it's a blanket it's mud it's a wall it's all it's all of those combined um no but it's like it's one hell of a happy trip we're going on (laughs) we're gonna scale walls through molasses (laughs) hardcore but I mean it just impedes your movement through your career, through the stuff that you're supposed to get done in a day, through your reactions with each other, if you are not showing up as authentic and trusting that you're able to find your way through where you've gotten, 
that's what imposter syndrome is, right? It's walking into work and going, oh shit, who's gonna figure out that I am not as advertised. I'm a total lie. I got my way here because I interview well, but I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> Which I don't actually have a problem with sometimes because I think it's, it goes with, you know, what, what story are you telling yourself? Is it, because I've definitely had that, like, do I actually belong here or not? And I'm just this girl from a small town. What am I doing here? But I think sometimes it's the, yeah, you know what? I interview well. But I, I go back to that growth mindset. Do you trust yourself to figure it out? Mm-hmm. And and that level of like, sure, you have to hustle this a little bit. But, you you know, hopefully you get that if, you th- if you're thrown into the fire, you will figure out how to how to come out of that. And I but I think that's hard to do, because to your point, I think there's a lot of people. It's less of a I interview well. And when are they going to figure out? I think it's more of a a little bit of what I was doing, uh, it, it, maybe not for the same reason, but a little bit of, I am supposed to be a certain person. And what if they find out that I'm not that person? And they genuinely aren't that person. Like that person that shows up in meetings, like, I'm perfect. And the boss loves me. And it's like, no, you're not. You're not perfect. And the boss probably doesn't like you all the time. But can you handle being the person who's not perfect? Like, can you actually handle being yourself? And I think that's the thing that causes all that defensiveness and that survival instinct of like, no, 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 you can't make me, you can't make me look bad by doing better than me or doing, doing worse and messing up my workflow because I'm riding on so much that I'm, I, I'm perfect that anything else lower than that, I don't trust that other people will, we, we, we've brought this up before. I don't trust that other people are going to look at me as a whole and that I would be enough. That's exactly where I've been going with this imposter syndrome thing, too, is putting a value judgment on the fact that maybe I am not currently the exact fit for the role that I find myself in. Then all of a sudden these words creep in like, I'm not good enough for this. I'm too bad at this. There are pe- people are going to find out that I am worse at that. You know, bad, good, worse. These are all value designations. When you just look at it as like, hey, you know what? I'm a puzzle piece. This is the puzzle. I'm not I'm not supposed to be in this space or I'm supposed to, you know, shave off a corner here and then I'm going to fit in this space. All right. It's when you start assigning value to it that the trust issue becomes a form of like competition between you and other people that, OK, well, people are going to find out I'm a fraud. That's a bad thing. I've designated good and bad around this, you know, ability to exactly perfectly fit this role and so I'm going to look to take down other people that might be uh susceptible so that I look better right these are all value designations yeah and I, I think that's it's probably to your point it's the number one thing that destroys trust is that the other people sense that you're in it for you and and not able to consider their needs in the midst of that and that goes back to if you're so absorbed in holding up this facade or creating this image for yourself People aren't going to trust that you care about what, what's going on with you. You don't have the capacity to look at what's going on with them as much as what's going on with you. And I think from that, you know, we breed, you know, some bad behaviors. And I want to bring up a behavior that I know is a pet peeve of yours. Hmm. And I have, a, I have an interesting kind of, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I have my own little take on it. But gossip. I have gossip written down. How did you know? Yes, gossip know. is a pain point for me. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny is I don't, um, you know, we've talked about before, like, how do you be a positive gossiper and say, say nice things about other people. But I, I tend to see people, you know, there's this, there's this, uh, and I forgot the model. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, because in the moment, I can't reference who actually came up with this. But I work with this uh, woman, a wonderful woman, uh, Jerry Brem, and 
she goes off and uses this. And it's about these, every ugly behavior is a poorly demonstrated unmet need. And a lot of times gossip is an unmet need of feeling connected and belonging. And people are trying to go, well, I'm going to connect with you. I'm going to talk poorly about someone else that you don't like, and we're going to bond over that. Or I'm going to share information with you that maybe you don't have access with, and that's somehow going to bring me in favor with you. And really, it's just a poor way of trying to get someone to connect with you. And I get it because I've had people say things about, and I always just find it hilarious because I think I'm such, I'm almost too much of an open book. That's usually my side. I've got to kind of rein it in a little bit. <laughs> so when people are gossiping, I'm like, what are you going to gossip about? I don't have any secrets. So I don't know, like, you know, like if you gossip about it, I'm like, I almost see it as like, it's fascinating that anyone's even thinking about me. Uh, but I'd love <laughs> to hear from your side of like, what is it that makes it such a pain point for you? Well, I think you, you've really kind of started me down the road of what I was, uh, what bothers me about it is that it is a shortcut. You're trying to shortcut an investment that you're making in relationship capital. So my whole job is and always has been interpersonal relationships, no matter what role I've ever played. Like we were talking last episode about like, you could uh, give me a shovel and make me a ditch digger. I will dig that ditch. I will do the physical work, but I will also be working to build the morale of the other ditch diggers on the line with me. Uh, because mm. I feel like personal re- interpersonal relationships are my job. That's, that is my brand. That's what I'm here to show up to do. So I see every opportunity to interact with anybody. It's a new coworker. It's a client. It's a vendor. It's a customer as an opportunity to actually put a deposit in your relationship bank, right? Like invest in the relationship capital. You spend the time. It's a, a a big part of my job, I'm going to say, and I'm sure there are people uh, that are listening for my current role, <laughs> they're like, yeah, that sounds about right. A big part of my job is doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing. And then a part on which I am dependent is to take the time to stop what I'm doing and listen and interact with others. That's a part of my brand. That's why I'm sitting in the current role I have in pretty much every consultative role I've ever played. Because it's important to invest in relationship capital if you ultimately want to forge any kind of positivity. You're going to have to make withdrawals against those accounts at some point when you are asking for additional help that's kind of beyond the scope of what your colleague or, you know, asking extra patience from a customer or asking a little extra from a client. You're going to have to make withdrawals from that account. So spending the time to authentically connect and make deposits into that relationship bank Uh, that relationship account is crucial. And a part of the work that I think people ignore, oh, I go go to work and I put my head down and I do my job and I leave. And that's great, but none of us works in a vacuum. And I I agree. And I think sometimes I've coached clients before. And what's fascinating to me is a lot of times those that gossip, and they'll say to me like, well, I'm telling you because you're my coach, but I don't say that to anybody else. And I'm like, you do it so freely with me. I don't buy that this isn't a way of connecting with other people. That mm-hmm. you, I, I don't buy that this is, I know the difference between someone who's just kind of cracking open with me because we're in this kind of unique situation where it's not therapy, but there is this kind of confidentiality and they need to talk about certain things. Whereas where I, I, I some of it is I watch how excited someone is to share something with me. Uh-huh. And it's that level of excitement of like, oh my gosh, let me tell you. And then also it usually follows with something disparaging about someone else. 
And that's the kind of gossip that really ends up hurting someone's credibility. And what's funny is almost 100% of the time, they'll also complain in the same kind of conversation about somebody else who gossips. <laughs> and it'll be like, oh my gosh, yes. And they, she's saying this about me. And I, how dare she? And I'm like, but you get, you're speaking about this person in a negative way. You're like, you're, it's, it's, you're, you're pulling in the behavior that you're giving out and you're offended by, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that there's, there's times where I'm sure I was just like this loud mouth opinionated person, like what's their problem? You know, <laughs> I'm just basically <laughs> calling out my issues. So sometimes that's hard to look in a mirror, right? Like we, 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 we're bothered. We, we, it's that blind spot of, I don't even realize how much I do this. And, and that's where the gossip just never helps anybody. I've yet to find somebody who gossiped and genuinely were able to elevate their situation. It never works. And I think there's a difference between venting with someone in hopes to solve a problem and going, I'm frustrated this lady and she did this and you know, as long as you end that with, how do I solve this? How do I move forward? How do I see this person as a human versus just this thing that I'm this driving me nuts versus someone who just, you're constantly sharing information that wasn't yours to share. Right. And you just, you just slice right down the middle of your credibility. And that's very hard to build back up. And even if you think like, well, no, it's okay. I can talk to this person. We're friends. And like the minute you trash talk somebody else, they know on the other side, that person listening goes, this is how you treat people when they disappoint you. And so that tells me I can't trust you unless we're on good terms. And if we're not on good terms, and I, to me in the workplace, you want people to trust you, whether or not you guys are close friends or not, whether or not you necessarily get along all the time, they should be able to trust that they could still work with you. Well, and that rolls right back to the beginning to talking about, oh, I'm, I'm conflict averse and I don't like to, uh, I don't like to debate. I, they don't want the fight because they don't, trust their reactions and you definitely don't trust somebody that you've seen not deal authentically if the debate can't be authentic if the share and exchange of ideas cannot be one where everybody feels that they're a safe space has been established for them to kind of explore what the opportunities are to fix an issue conference room a versus conference room b that's what people are looking to avoid they're looking to avoid all of the unknowns all of the stuff that that terrifies each of us right (laughs) No, 100% agree. And um, I think trust is also, you know, we talk about it, 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 I don't, you know, and I, maybe this comes back down to this, let's talk about time and trust, because I think certain things take time to trust somebody, but I think people decide whether or not they trust you. And we might call it like whether or not we like a person, but basically whether or not we trust that person within a fraction of a second. Now, how much I'll trust you, how much I'll entrust you with things might take some time, but that very first initial impression, and, and it can be, I got a bad impression and now I have a good impression. So I do think those change. I've, I know I've met people that I just thought were, ew. And then as I got to know them better, I was like, oh, I completely read them <laughs> wrong. But I, I think that whole time scope of things, you just can destroy it so quickly is the hard part about it, you know? Yeah. Well, and that goes back to kind of keeping in uh, keeping in balance those uh, those four quadrants of how we're showing up. I love that we started talking about how you assess others against these four components of trust. How authentic are they? How much do they seem to care? How capable are they? How reliable are they? Hey, I did it! All four of them. Oh wow, you're a pro. <laughs> but 
you get snippets of that, you know, it, like you're saying in your first meetings and your first impressions that you give off and that you're getting from others. So the way we're showing up are giving clear signals about what people can expect from us in each of those four quadrants as well. There are easy ways. You're right. It does take time to establish authentic trust and to really build and, and put money in those relationship accounts. But there are quick wins that can help you show up the right way early on and kind of establish that that ground to build trust on and showing up authentically being able to laugh at yourself like that the imposter syndrome kind of goes right out the door when you're able to be authentic enough that you can kind of point to your own foibles and not think that it means you're going to get a foot in your butt on the way out the door immediately you know what I mean having a little bit of confidence that kind of sparks that authenticity so that you can deal with people on a more normal level and showing up just caring, just actually asking about the person that's standing in front of you or, or on the other end of the Skype call, making sure that you have taken a little bit of time, even 30 seconds before you start a client meeting or whatever it is, to actually invest in who is the person across from me. I am terrible at names. I will ask a person's name 14 times, but I know how many kids they have. I definitely know their pets' names. I've got that down. So there's something <laughs> there's something that you can relate to somebody on and you can usually find that pretty quickly if you care enough to look. And those are some quick wins that start you on the right footing to establish room in all four of those quadrants to start putting money in that uh, in that relationship bank account. Yeah, and I think I mean I I love what you just said. I think that whole thing of you know, you could find your cuz I'm the same way. I can't love I mean I can't remember people's names for the life of me. I can't remember my name, really, let's be honest. I just, <laughs> but I don't put a whole lot of stock into names. So I don't like, that's not how I see someone's value. Like, oh, this is who you are. Right. I, I mean, you're, I'm, I'm like you. It's like, no, you are the life that you're living. And I guess that's, you know, that's my cop out, I guess, for not being good at remembering names. But there's something about being present with people. And this is, goes back to the, you know, can you listen so the other person feels heard? I break listening down into three things. And maybe I've talked about this before in other episodes, but you know, there's two selfish reasons that we listen and we're not present with the other person because we're so in our head. It's we're listening for basically a, agreement. Like, do you mm. and I agree? And if I, you know, as I'm listening, I'm really just picking apart what you're saying. And the only thing I'm latching on to are the things that don't jive with me. But once again, I'm focused on what do I think about this? How do I feel about it? The other one is I'm listening for information. I'm going to tune in if you're saying something that A, is new that I've never heard before and B, I find interesting or relative to something I need to do. And the minute you start to repeat yourself or the minute you start talking about something that I don't care about, I've tuned out and I started thinking about things that matter to me. And, there, and those, those types of listings are important. And like I always say in one of my workshops, you should be listening for information and feel free to tune out if this is boring or it's, new, it's not new information. And you should be listening to see whether or not you agree with me. And this is a time to be very selfish with your listening. But if you're trying to build trust with somebody or repair trust with somebody, you need to just sit in the listening and really be present with the person, whether you agree with them, whether they're repeating themselves, because your listening isn't for yourself in that moment. It's to basically bear witness to their experience. I was talking to someone on the phone that I, they had reached out for career coaching. I had offered free connection. I had gone to a speaking event and I said, you know, feel free to call me and, and we can have a coaching. And the person called me. And I was trying to, to, to let them know, this is what I do with clients when I'm trying to help them, you know, figure out what they want to do with their career. 
and everything like cutting me off in the middle of the sentences and saying like, yeah, I've done that. Yep. I've done that. Yep. I've done that. Mm. And I just thought you're not even being present with, with me. So you're not even hearing what I'm trying to do. And then when they sent me over the information that I was trying to help them with, that they said that they had already done, it was very different than the type of things that I was going to do with them. And so I was like, God, you're, you're so convinced that there's an outcome here that's not going to be good for you, that you're not able to even sit in the moment, be present with me. And you would have heard something completely different. You would have seen that there was a different avenue to take that maybe, I don't know, I can't guarantee it would have taken you to the path that you wanted, but I can guarantee it was a different path that you've been on. I, I just, I, I felt like, you know, if that, if that person and I ever speak again, that's the conversation. Maybe they're listening to this podcast. Give me a call. <laughs> Let's chat it out. And, and just go like, gosh, you know, you're, it's sometimes we're so convinced that something bad is going to happen that we're, we're not really tuned into the opportunities that are kind of unfolding. And I think that's the same thing as we're sitting down with someone who we don't always get along with. And we're so convinced this conversation is going to go to a bad place that we're only listening for that negative versus like, just be open. Just if you sat with this person and really were present, what might come out of that conversation? And someone in one of my classes the other day say, you know, like, well, you know, I, I get it. I'm supposed to just let it go. It's just words. I'm like, it's never just words. Hmm. It's always the emotion underneath the words. Because if I said to you, look at you, that feels very different than look at you. <laughs> they're the same three words, you know? And I'm so like, for us to sit here and say, they're just words, let it go. Like, no, those are always just like, that's the packaging. Inside is the meaning. And, and as humans, we're very skilled at tuning into that meaning and nuance and so to think like as you're talking to someone you're just paying attention to what they're saying versus how they're saying it and what they're feeling you're really missing out on that trust building opportunity it, it is all about the way we're, the way we're authentically communicating on every single level which requires us to be present if we're really authentically communicating on every single level. Agreed. Which kind of brings us back to if we're going to be present, that means that we're trusting. I'm going to go full Oprah here and like expand on the point that you just made and say that it it means that we have to trust the universe, not just the person sitting across from us, but trust that this moment is going to deliver whatever outcome it's going to deliver and that's going to be okay. Agreed. Agreed. We went full Oprah. We did it. We went full All Oprah. Right. I, I'll take a full <laughs> Oprah anytime. <laughs> Same. With I, you know, speaking of being authentic, I always uh, can trust 100% of the time clicks all four quadrants that every time you and I talk, it's going to give me something to think on. And now I am convicted there's a particular uh, workplace relationship that I need to bring my presence into a lot more fully. And I'm going to start that tomorrow. I'm excited. <laughs> I should probably apply it to my first life. <laughs> what a concept. Well, we want to hear from you. If you've got a question or a story you want to share that has to do with anything that we've talked about on the show, you got trust issues you want to share with us, you want to talk to us about your quadrant, withdrawals and deposits in that relationship account, or if you want to hear us discuss something that's on your mind or just want to tell us what you think of what we're talking about, tweet us at LMTP Consulting, message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, or email us lmtppodcast at gmail.com. We trust that you had a wonderful episode. 
And we're looking forward to uh, talking back at you next time. Thank you so much. Heather, thank you. Thank you. I trust you'll have a great rest of your evening. And (laughs) (laughs) authentically. Authentically. Uh, (laughs) Same. Loveys to all you out there. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. That was gorgeous. I love us. I love us so much. 